Uh, hi everyone, I'm Harper. I'm Jonathan. And uh, this is Hawkeyes. Authentic knowledge and feelings. I feel it, I feel it. Okay, I know where you're going with this. You want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead it's like, whoa. But I'm really not funny. No, no, no. Our guest this week is a comedian, Coop Foster. Hello, everyone. Hi, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so what uh, what is your relationship like with Ethan Hawke? Was this like really weird when I asked you to come on an Ethan Hawke podcast? <laughs> or do you like have some background knowledge of him? Um, well, it wasn't weird because I do I do enjoy I am. I'm not a hawk head per uh-huh. se, <laughs> but I do enjoy Hawk. Um, my favorite Ethan Hawk movie is Training Day. I'm pretty sure most people are gonna agree because it's the greatest movie ever. Uh, <laughs> and as you know, Eminem was originally supposed to play his part. Oh, interesting. Wow. I didn't know that there are a few Fun people fact. that I think were supposed to play that. Like they were talking about Toby Maguire for that role, I think. And Matt Damon, also. So glad that didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, the, the right person ended up in the right place. But yeah, um, but yeah, uh, I enjoy him. I just he's like one of those actors that is kind of always like around. Mm-hmm. That's true. But he really it, is. You know, he's around, but he's not like the first person you think of when you you're like casting. Like, if I was going to cast something right now, Ethan Hawke would not be the first person on my list. Mm-hmm. But he's an amazing actor, but he's just always around. He just ends up <laughs> in things, if that makes sense. I don't know. I haven't left my house in a long time. I don't know what I'm talking about, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, that does make sense. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I think one reason why he's always around is because he has a lot of, like, great collaborators, you know? So he's always in the Richard Linklater movies. He's done a couple, you know, Spearig Brothers movies. You know, he has a couple, like, directors that he works with a lot. And then I think mm-hmm. he just, yeah, I think he's just, like, a good go-to guy when you need, like, someone to do a genre movie, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, he's a delight. Well, cool. I enjoy you, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. I'm glad you're always around. So do we. Ethan, we love you. Come on the show. um so yeah so the movie we're talking about this week is born to be blue Mm -hmm. um which is a kind of different movie than i think a lot of the movies we've seen before yeah would you say yeah yeah um but it feels you know it feels yeah no it feels really ethan hawk but it feels uh different still than a lot of the types of movies he's done before yeah um it came out in 2015 and in this movie, Ethan Hawke plays Chet Baker. So that's yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. I I don't really know a lot about Chet Baker. I didn't like before seeing this movie. I didn't really know a lot about Chet Baker. Um, like I've I've listened to his music and enjoyed it, but I didn't really know anything about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we saw this movie when it came out in theaters like five years ago. Yeah. Um, we're kind of getting into a period where we've actually like we've seen a lot of these movies before yeah when like they came theaters. out yeah yeah um had you seen this movie before i had not and actually chet baker i enjoy his music but he reminds me of ethan hawk where it's like he's always around but you don't know a lot about his personal life mm-hmm. so like i really enjoyed watching this movie and i had no idea that he had like such a tragic life story which we'll get into later yeah um but yeah, it was really interesting. Not to say that Ethan Hawke, I don't know what you got going on in your life, Ethan Hawke. I'm not <laughs> saying that you're all strung out on heroin, but I'm just saying that like, I don't know your personal business. You're just always around, just like Chet Baker's music is always around. I just didn't know a whole lot about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I think also uh, there's a chance that you could not know a lot about Chet Baker and then watch this movie and then probably still not know a lot about Chet Baker. Because <laughs> yeah. my understanding is that this movie is kind of uh, impressionistic, mm-hmm. uh, a little, a little improvised, if you will, a little free jazz or something. <laughs> Um, that a lot of the stuff in it is is loosely based on his life, like mm-hmm. the character, the um, I don't know, I'm forgetting her name, but she's like a composite character. She's yeah, not like a real person. Oh wait, really? Yeah. Oh no, wait. Now you're. Oh, okay. Now I know nothing about Ted Baker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did not read up on this after I watched the movie, so I just assumed I knew everything about Chet Baker. So this lady is not actually. So I don't need to go find out where her and the baby are. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think I don't think so. Yeah, no, I think I mean I think what's interesting about this movie is that so it starts out with we see Ethan Hawke as Chet Baker and he's like Chet Baker playing Chet Baker in a biopic about himself. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. So there's a lot of like layers of self-reflexivity to this movie. <laughs> Uh, Jonathan's laughing at me because I always talk about self-reflexivity because I'm mean, a big you know, nerd. You, it's it's your you know you are an expert. It was the topic of my thesis. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of levels here, and so it's kind of like critical of a biopic while still being kind of a biopic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it you know it like I feel like it captures like the spirit of of Chet Baker but not like the facts of Chet Baker. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like music biopics that are just kind of like paint by the numbers, like Mm -hmm. hitting the important notes of their life, like troubled childhood and uh, meeting the band and then, you know, that kind of thing. And like, it's, it's not always, it's interesting and enjoyable to a fan but it doesn't always make for the best like filmmaking Mm -hmm. so i think movies like this tend to do tend to be a little bit better movies because they're you know like this movie focuses almost entirely on like a i don't know one year or something stretch of his life Mm -hmm. like not a not a whole lot of his life is covered by this movie but it's a really bizarre year, though. I mean, yeah. playing yourself <laughs> in your own biopic is pretty weird. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, that part is real, though, right? Oh, don't disappoint me and say that part is not real. I don't know. I didn't. I don't know. I, I did a that. really bad job of researching for this one. <laughs> I really hope that part is real because it's just so bizarre, and I, I wonder if anybody's actually done that before. Yeah, played themselves. I guess I well I haven't seen it, but speaking of Eminem, I know he has. Oh, Eight Mile. Eight oh mile. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He does yeah. play himself. Yeah, that's true. Fantasia from American Idol. She did play herself. She did play herself. <laughs> yes, in the Fantasia Barino story. I feel like that's a level of confidence that, like, I yeah. just <laughs> respect. I deeply respect that. Like that, you're like I am worthy of a biopic, and I'm going to be myself in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you gotta love that. Yeah, how honest can you really be playing yourself? Because you're not really gonna be like the asshole that you actually are in real life. True on and screen. I'll, yeah, but to be fair, like I think a lot of other biopics are like they'll be like produced by the person that it's about, so they won't be in it, but it'll be that's produced true. by them. You know, so that that's also gonna be one of those things where it's like, how honest is it? Hmm. Yeah, well, should we get into it? Sure. Okay. So, yeah, so as I mentioned, it starts with him in the biopic playing himself, uh, as Chet Baker playing himself. And um, it starts in, we get to a flashback in black and white where he is, um, he's like just played at Birdland, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so he he takes a woman back to his hotel room and he tries heroin for the first time and it's like really intense. Yes, yes. Um and there's this whole like confrontation scene with his wife and then the director yells cut and that's when the it cuts to color and we see that he was shooting a movie. Right. Um and so his his co-star played by Carmen Ajogo, who's like just so good in this. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So in the biopic in the movie, she's like playing she's playing all of the women in his life. 
which you know she's essentially also doing in born to be blue yeah um and you know they have this immediate like kind of romantic tension romantic sexual tension like you know she's like oh no i'm not doing this and then of course they do it um they go bowling uh which is fun i love to see ethan hawk bowling it's a really classic move (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i I love their chemistry by the way their chemistry was i just wanted them to be together in real life after this movie Mm mm-hmm yeah yeah, so there's I I really like the scene at the bowling alley. So he's like so like weirdly seductive. It's, it's like he has this like low raspy voice, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's also missing one tooth at the beginning, like a one front tooth. Yeah, but something about that still works for him. I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, what I couldn't tell if it's like have I been quarantined for too long. <laughs> Or, like, I couldn't tell if, like, is he really this sexy or just I haven't seen a man in real life in so long. (laughs) Like, he was really giving it, like, all the way. Like, the flirting, everything about it. I was like, girl, don't do it. And then I was like, girl, do it. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like I've had a few moments like that with Ethan Hawke where it's like, I should not find this hot, but I do. I think, like... What was the big one? It was like Starbuck from Moby Dick, mm. where he was like he just looked so like salty from the sea, you know. <laughs> but he was like he was e- even though he was stranded at sea, he was like more put together oh, in yeah. that than this. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Which, to be fair, it's not entirely his fault in this that he got you know his teeth knocked out. Yeah, but also a little bit his fault because he wasn't you know paying up. So mm-hmm. it happens yeah so at the bowling alley like he sings to her uh he sings what is it um i've never fell in love before or something mm-hmm. and it's so good i just loved yeah. it i think ethan hawk's like a f- fun singer you know it's mm-hmm. it's he's like he's not bad yeah i, I, th- I also think he's suited to like singing uh in the character. chet baker yeah, style yeah because chet baker is kind of like you know it's that talk singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it, un- I, unless you're like a trained singer. Yeah. You know, it's going to be, but he has like that, he's good for like a not trained singer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like in the way that Chet Baker is, where it's just kind of like, it's it's like kind of flat, but it's like soothing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so then when they leave the bowling alley, um, some guys come up and like punch him out. Yeah. And he loses all of his teeth and he gets really beaten up. And mm-hmm. uh, he wakes up in the hospital and Carmen Ojogo is there by his side. The only one. Yeah. Because, Which is insane. Like, yeah. hello. Like, how many red flags do you need, man? Like, you <laughs> know his life story. You know exactly who he is. You go on a first date. You see him get knocked out by his drug dealers. What is happening in your mind, ma'am? Yeah. Is what I want to know. Time to so, time to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. But I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's wild to like I can't imagine meeting Chet Baker at that point, you know, in his life cuz he's, you know, he's like Chet Baker and he's very talented, but like he's like totally lost everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh I don't know. Yeah, like I could see like her as an artist to being interested in him as an artist and like not wanting to give up on that. Also just her as a person seeing him as a person and not wanting to give up on him either. Yeah. Everyone else had. Yeah. So this is kind of like it's supposed to be set a little bit like kind of his popularity has sort of crested already. Yeah. And he's coming for like a revival at the end of this movie. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's kind of. I guess he's sort of at a low point in his career, mm-hmm. which is interesting because, like, it's like you know Johnny Cash in like the '80s or whatever. He was like playing like like small clubs. Mm-hmm. Like pe- people had no interest in Johnny Cash at all, and now we think of him as like this music legend. Yeah, and he had like a revival in the mid 2000s. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. like Rick Rubin was like, no one wants to work with Johnny Cash, but. 
you know, he saw that it's Johnny Cat. Like, you don't have to, you know. Yeah. It, so it's one of those things where, like, I think there's a lot of people like that who kind of, like, they it's, get they get forgotten about or they get, you know, while they're still alive, I guess, you kind of yeah. don't respect them for, for what they've done until after, maybe. Like John Travolta before Pulp Fiction happened, when people were starting to forget about him. And, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. he got Pulp Fiction. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. And then he got Hairspray, 2007. What a film. What a performance. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Oh, okay. So, at the beginning, we don't actually see that Birdland scene where he's playing and meeting Miles Davis. But it's at this point that we do see it where he's, like, passed out. He's remembering um, this encounter that he had with Miles Davis uh, where Miles Davis tells him, to live a little and like maybe he'd play better if he lived a little mm-hmm. and then that and then we find out that that's when he got into heroin right Oof. he basically just kind of like wants to be taken seriously by like miles davis and dizzy gillespie and those guys yeah i wonder how that translated to do heroin like live a little should not translate to that yeah but i don't know maybe <laughs> it's the times i don't know yeah, I mean, I feel like it was probably just available in that scene, you know? Yeah. And he was like, I've done everything else, now there's this. If I, if the, like, if this doesn't make me better, then, you know? Nothing will. Nothing will. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So, yeah, then after when Ethan Hawke is recovering from his, you know, his beating, he he gets these dentures from a dentist and, like he has to like really shove them into his mouth and his mouth is still recovering from having all of the teeth fall out. Yeah. So, and the doctor tells him like to not use his mouth so much. And immediately he goes home and he gets in the bathtub and he's like playing the, the trumpet and just blood spewing everywhere all over his body and like the trumpets. Yeah. It's I mean, really... kudos to him in the scene because, like, you could really feel, like, yeah. you could feel it. Yeah. It was one of those things you could feel. And it was less about even just the visual of it. Like, I was wincing before I saw the blood. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just when you put it to his lips. So it kind it's, of, you, yeah. you, could, you could definitely really, like, feel that scene. And I remember when we watched it, what, like, five years ago or whatever, yeah. for the first time. Like, that's the scene I remember the most. Just mm-hmm, him sitting mm-hmm. in the bathtub trying to play the trumpet. That says so much about his acting because I feel exactly exactly the same way. Like you just mentioning the that scene, I can still feel like the pain yeah. that you know of yeah. him pushing those dentures up there and trying to blow the ditch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just like a sympathetic radiating in your yeah. mouth. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so after that, he shoots up some heroin and he's lying on the floor, and Carmen Ajogo finds him, and um and he's just kind of like saying a lot of you know drug crazed things mm-hmm. and he's he says you should this is one line that i marked down as maybe a a most ethan hawk line or maybe just a, one of my favorite lines in the movie but he says you should find one thing and be better at it than anyone else and it was like so brutal you know like i like i respect his commitment but like it's such a horrible way to live yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure Oh, yeah. But also, another time where you shouldn't think it's hot, but (laughs) for some reason, him covered in blood and her wiping his face down Mm -hmm. and then her kissing him, which usually would disgust me. (laughs) I was fine with it. Yeah. 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 She's also really hot. I feel like she just addressed that. Yeah. 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 Yeah um it's a it's a nice movie to watch <laughs> you see on the eyes <laughs> yeah <It's> true. <laughs> for sure i mean besides them too like all the visuals are also yeah really it's well. a really like all yeah. the clothes and all that stuff and all the the color and all that stuff mm-hmm. it's yeah. really nice to look at yeah um and they decide that it's time for him to kind of dry out mm-hmm. you know stay away from drugs so they go both go to oklahoma and move in with his parents in his childhood bedroom yeah and he just lives a normal life and he gets a job at a gas station nearby and he works on his trumpet playing yeah you know? yeah and it's like a very beautiful like you know 
pasture that they're living on mm-hmm. yeah some nice yeah, shots that- of him just standing out in a field playing playing the trumpet yeah yeah this this is this is like that scene in a lot of biopics where it's like you see them as a child and you learn what their like childhood was like but it's just him it's him as an adult but you still get a glimpse of like what his his upbringing would have been like because you can see how his dad is yeah and mm-hmm. how his you know so this this kind of like shortcuts the need to have like that kind of childhood flashback or like childhood beginning by just showing how he is with his parents now and you 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 know the audience is smart enough to figure out like oh he didn't have a very happy childhood yeah so yeah his parents are kind of stern and also like kind of offhanded racist comments about his black girlfriend yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 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 um yeah and yeah and one thing that was pretty wild to me about this period where they're staying at the parents' house is they have really intimate sex in his childhood bed. Yeah, it about was... that. <laughs> it was a lot. What is happening? Also, does he is his room in the attic? It looks like he's in the yeah, attic, which like also it, yeah. makes it very strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was um, not okay with that. And when he says <laughs> my mom will hear us or something like that, it was it was just very no. You have a barn. You have a whole like seventeen acres at your <laughs> disposal. Like just yeah, just go for a walk. Go on a tractor or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's very strange. I didn't. I didn't like that. Yeah, I did think one thing that made it like a really like intimate sex scene though was that they start having sex and then she like instructs him while like she tells him what she likes which is something mm-hmm. that i feel like you don't really see a lot in a movie it's like usually they just kind of you know go for it <laughs> in, oh, that's in a movie. very true and there was like communication between the two of them which i thought was interesting true yeah yeah don't be afraid to communicate all right guys it's important yeah it is yeah um so yeah then they after their time in oklahoma they move back to la and they both he moves into her van so she has like a you know when you see all the volkswagen volkswagen van like hashtag van life Mm -hmm. yeah tiny house nation van Mm -hmm. which is very cute um very interested in how they go to the bathroom what yeah. is their bathroom situation That's in this cute question. little van? Yeah, like, I, I guess they must, I mean, I assume they kind of live near, although it doesn't, <laughs> yes, the ocean, <laughs> but also I was thinking that maybe they live near, like, a like a beach area that people go to that mm-hmm. might have, like, a public restroom and, like, a sh- like a, one, you know, one of those little dinky showers that you yeah. could, like, wash your feet off at. Because, yeah. like, how do you bathe also? There? Yeah. Exactly. Those beach bathrooms are absolutely disgusting yeah but i feel like yeah. they were living a kind of bohemian life i feel yeah, like they were both true and also like he had nowhere else to go yeah 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 i wonder what he would have done if she would have been like nah you can't live in the van with me because he was like i'm gonna move in with you basically or can i move in with you what if she would have said no like where was he gonna? Did he have an apartment? Did he have an apartment? I don't remember he this. Did, he did, yeah, but, but he was his... gonna get kicked out the next month. I think he was yeah. running out of money. Yeah. Oh. And that's why they went to Oklahoma ultimately. Yeah. And then he moved back in with the van, into the van with her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. He yeah. lived a crazy, crazy, crazy life. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's living with her and he's trying to like still rehabilitate his mouth and his trumpet playing. Yeah. And so he starts playing at like a a local, um, like pizza place that has like a jazz day, like a jazz Sundays. And, um, he, he's playing and it's going okay, but then he starts to have a hard time with the dentures and he has to like stop playing and like readjust them. Yeah. He keeps like missing like big sections of the song because he just can't. He has to like take a break basically. Yeah. yeah. And then like the leader of the band tells him afterwards that he should practice more. And then he's like, okay. And he leaves. And then Carmen and Joe goes like, you know, that was Chet Baker, right? <laughs> that was such a heartbreaking scene of like, first of all, don't, why don't you know who this is? Yeah. Oh my God. And second of all, to be so high in your career and then have some nobody pizza joint 
guy <laughs> tell you you need to practice. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Mad times for Chet, yeah. for yeah. sure. The uh, the most uncomfortable jazz club scene in an Ethan Hawke movie, including the one in Training Day where a dude gets shot. <laughs> <laughs> I oh I no! I'm thinking that. of. Uh, oh no! I'm thinking of Collateral. That is Collateral. Yeah. You are thinking of Collateral. Wow, crazy! It's not an Ethan Hawke movie. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel better. It's now. a Denzel. Like, is that wait? Is that a Denzel? No, Washington it's Jamie movie? Fox. No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Jamie Fox and Tom Cruise, which is like not as good as Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. <laughs> but oh, I think yes, they did a good yes. job in that movie. Yeah, I did enjoy that movie. Yeah, I recently watched it for the first time because Jonathan had it on DVD yeah. and wanted me to see it. Yeah, I feel like Collateral and, and Training Day like have uh, kind of like a spiritually similar definitely like energy yeah. to them. L.A., you know. Good guy, bad guy. Good or guy, good bad. guy, morally questionable guy. Yeah, yeah. morally questionable think... guy, more morally questionable guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they came out at the same time, too. Yeah, they, I think like, Training Day I was 2001 so. and Collateral was maybe 2004. Yeah. Uh, I had to guess because it came out on my birthday that year and I kind of remember, mm-hmm. I think. Nice. <laughs> um, it came out the same day as uh, Little Black Book with Brittany Murphy, if you remember that movie. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, that's the movie I ended up seeing on my birthday. <laughs> Good. Um, but yeah, so... He's he's really working on getting his career back together, mm-hmm. and he goes to his old an old friend to ask for studio time. Um, what was his name? Do you remember his name? He, it was like a one syllable name that kind of sounded like it could have been three different names. It's like John and, or something. No, mm, I thought it was like a I Dick say or Donahue, but it's really? not Donahue. <laughs> Dick, it is Dick. Okay, yeah, I was close. It started with a D. You were mm-hmm. on to something there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he goes to his friend Dick to ask for some studio time because he has a studio where he used to record mm-hmm. and, um, he turns him down. Um, and so he just keeps playing this pizza gig and, uh, one day there's a, a girl who's kind of like crushing on him who like slips him some cocaine in a card or in like a little pamphlet or something. And there's, it's like a, ooh, will he you know, fess up to Carmen Ojoga that he has this or will he not? And he does. Yeah. And then she's like, listen, it's your business. You know, yeah, I and trust there's that, you. Like, really tense moment where the parole guy yeah. is there and he like picks up the pamphlet and it's like kind of just, he's just like mm-hmm. fiddling with it. He's not like trying to look at it. He's just like, it's just in his hand. And you think like for a second that maybe it's going to like fall out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Ooh, but he just puts it back down and, and walks away. It's like, Ooh yeah yeah and that scene also the parole officer says that he needs to find a real job because this isn't he's not making any money yeah um um before the he gets the drugs though and asks for the recording time Mm -hmm. he tries to steal the producer guy's plant right (laughs) why does he do that I think just maybe like a petty you know yeah (laughs) that was the weirdest I was like is there drugs in this plant? Why is it? What is he going to do? He also walked to his house. Mm-hmm. Was he going to walk home with a succulent? Like <laughs> what's happening yeah. here? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just had uh, that was just really on my mind and I needed to say it out loud. I'm sorry. OK, no. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> I think that was just like a. I think he's just like feeling kind of like jilted, you know, mm-hmm. and he just wants like to to like get a little revenge in the lowest stakes yeah. way possible yeah but he doesn't pull it <laughs> off because he comes out and he's like leave the plant <laughs> it's just such a funny exchange yeah and the thing i kind of i really liked about that though is you could tell that they had like decades of friendship between them you know yeah, even though yeah, they're not yeah. in a good place now like you know when ethan hawk tried to steal his plant he just came outside and was like dude you yeah. know what are you doing <laughs> Yeah, and because you see him in the beginning, you see him like he 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 sh- he does show up to the hospital. He doesn't stick around, but he does yeah. show up. He's there like when he's producing this movie. He is kind of there for him, like, mm-hmm. and that's the interesting thing. It's like a lot of people, a lot of the characters in this movie, like even down to the parole officer, they kind of want like what's best for him. Yeah, they're, but he they're has, rooting for him, but he yeah, has to find but it. He has on to his like own. get his shit straight, basically. Yeah, like even like you know like like Dizzy Gillespie is like 
he he you know he's he's he he tells him like straight up but like he's also like he helps him out you know Mm -hmm. so that's kind of interesting to see that there's no there's no one that's really uh sort of antagonizing against him at all it's just besides maybe his parents but like everyone it's mostly himself that's against yeah himself being successful essentially yeah and everyone else like they're kind of they kind of do want what's best for him. They just can't, like, you know, the producer guy can't stretch himself any more than he can, you know. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but he does end up a little while later. Carmen Ojogo goes to him and, like, kind of vouches for him and says, look, like, he's he's doing all right now. Like, yeah. just let him, like, have some stu- – he could be, like, backup, you know, trumpet in the background. Or we can, like, paint walls for you. Like, we'll literally do anything. Just, like, give him some time. So then he ends up like playing in like a like a, a mariachi like group or something. That was amazing! This bootleg mariachi band. Yeah, yeah. all white dudes. Yeah, yeah it was like all white dude mariachi band. I was like, wait, what is happening? Yeah, What's the giant okay. sombrero. I love seeing yeah. Ethan Hawke in a sombrero. And I just like the other thing I love about that scene is like he's playing in this mariachi band, and you just see, um the producer guy just like casually turn the dial down and like yeah. Cut, yeah. <laughs> cut his mic off basically because he's not like he's not keeping not time sounding too great yeah and then what yeah. ethan hawk says um which i actually i think this maybe was the most ethan hawk line because it felt like he wasn't playing chet baker anymore like he was just kind of being himself mm-hmm. in this yeah. moment he says somebody's out of tune it's not me and then he just walks <laughs> yeah. out yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's great. yeah that was hilarious yeah. and he like kind of points at someone he's like i think it's him yeah I, 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 yeah that was pretty great yeah i love that <laughs> it's definitely the jazz version of whoever smelt it dealt it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah oh man now i'm thinking i'm sorry i gotta do a quick shout out to uh instagram user boston mock who uh said that he and his whoever he listens with they they take a drink every time i say um yeah on the podcast <laughs> so shout out to you mark uh thanks that's for the listening side, that's the sign of a true fan is someone yeah. who's like willing to just <laughs> roast you you know yeah. i love if it. they've listened enough to to pick up on your on your you mm-hmm. know, vocal takes and stuff that's it's, it's it's endearing it's sweet yeah um yeah (laughs) i can't not do it see now you're just gonna try to get them drunk yeah (laughs) yeah it's a drinking game at this point so i believe this is kind of around the time when ethan hawk meets carmen ajogo's parents which is pretty tense yes yes yeah so her father's basically asking like you know are you gonna be able to support our daughter because you guys are like living out here in a van basically homeless when like you could be in new york having like a real career and you're just wasting your life away on this like you know jazz trumpeter who can't even play anymore yeah um and he's like listen i'm gonna marry your daughter but i'm not gonna ask you and it's just all of this you know yeah it's it gets real gets real tension yeah yeah which is kind of an interesting contrast from like the way i don't i feel like it's a little different than the way like their interaction with uh his parents goes Mm -hmm. because you know he like his dad like says like you know some casually racist stuff he says some stuff that he just doesn't need to say and she just kind of like you know, she she kind of just has to, like, deal with it. She cares about him, and she kind of, like, just decides to let it go. But then when her dad is asking him, like, real serious questions that mm-hmm. are kind of valid and kind of based in fact, like, you're living in this van, like, that's just a fact, he kind of lashes out at her dad in a way that she wouldn't have done to his dad, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's because the dad's brought up the dad brought up music and since he's so obsessed with music, that was the thing that kind of hit him in a wrong way and 
weirdly enough, that was the thing that set him off and not the racism. He's like, nah, that's fine, but don't you talk about my music. Yeah. yeah. You, you yeah. can talk about my lady, but don't talk about my music. <laughs> yeah, I think that definitely like everything that happens... I mean, a lot of what happens to Ethan Hawke, Chet Baker in this movie is like because of his pride, you know, specifically yeah. related to his music. Yeah, I mean, he's like, you know, like he's a successful white musician. Like he probably isn't getting a lot of f- like flack, you know, he, like he, he's mm-hmm. probably not used to having someone belittle him in any way. Mm-hmm. Whereas for her, like, you know, she's a black woman in whatever year this is like she's probably had to deal with a whole lot of yeah subtly racist and not so subtly racist comments and so it is interesting to see how she's able to handle it and how he's not able to kind of check himself yeah yeah and we do get to see at a certain point we see her her struggles in her career yeah because you know so much of this is just about like her supporting chet baker and like his career but then we get to actually see she like keeps auditioning for things and like not getting it even though she seems like Mm -hmm. she's probably a good actor and you know she had some success in new york but came out to la to make it in movies but she's having a really hard time making it um Mm -hmm. and yeah and then later i mean jumping ahead but later she ultimately does get a role and it, you know, it comes into, or she gets a call back and the call back conflicts with her being there to support Ethan Hawke and it becomes a whole issue. Yeah. yeah. So whenever it's not about him and his career, it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's been like unflinchingly supportive of him at every step, even when he's playing pizza, mm-hmm. you know, pizza parlors and whatever. And there's like one big thing for her and he kind of like brushes it aside, mm-hmm. which is, you know, hard to see. Yeah, he's completely controlling, too, because there was one scene where she was meeting with a director and he, like, loses his shit. Yeah, he's, like, all he, jealous and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, are you leaving me? Because she met with a director and it's like, you guy, relax. She's just meeting a director to rehearse some shit. Yeah. Chill. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, oh, after that scene where he gets in the whole fight with her dad in that confrontation um later he's they're together again he and carmen and jogo and they get into a fight but then she says that she's pregnant and then they get engaged even though they were like mid fight before <laughs> yeah. That. <laughs> yeah um and he he gives her as a ring like his uh mouthpiece from his yeah, trumpet yeah. Uh, which is too small to fit on her finger, but she wears it as a necklace. Yeah, it's like a, it's, it looks like a like a metal washer, basically. Yeah, 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 and it's like cute, but also a reminder of how everything is just about his career. That's yeah. True. yeah, yeah. Um, but things are looking up because he's gonna get to do a show. Um, he does a show live in the in the studio, and they have you know like local press and some record label people, I think. Right. Um, and this is where Dizzy Gillespie is. Yeah, and Dizzy Gillespie is there, which is pretty cool. It's um, the actor, I forget his name, but he plays Belle in Orphan Black. Hmm. Either of you watched Oh, Orphan I Black? didn't even realize that. Yeah. So that was cool. Yeah. I thought he was good in this. He was so cool with his glasses and his hat. He was like yeah. so jazzy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, he, had, like, he had like a very like kind of like, just sort of laid back like almost nerdy vibe to him compared with like miles davis who had this like just super intimidating kind of vibe to him he has this this, like you know these like high collar jackets and he's always wearing the sunglasses no matter what he's Mm -hmm. doing and like i mean that's i feel like that probably fits with you know everyone's idea of who miles davis is you know but Mm -hmm. but is yeah just like miles davis is like this like uh just epitome of intimidating coolness you know in this movie Mm -hmm. just kind of fun to see i feel like maybe we should follow this up with the what was the miles ahead yeah is that don cheadle yeah yeah Yeah. i've never seen that maybe we should watch it yeah yeah that could be fun um just to get the uh, the other perspective Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. not just like miles davis is this like frosty monster (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but so at the show ethan hawk sings my funny valentine and it's just like 
it's so dark, but it's so good. It is so dark. I didn't even think of that. I was like, there's something creepy about this, but I like it. Yeah. It's like beautifully dark. It's a great way to describe it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first time, this is so weird, but the first time I heard Chet Baker's My Funny Valentine was like on this Starbucks compilation CD <laughs> that my mom picked up at a Starbucks one time, like when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, and it had My Funny Valentine on there. And I was like, this is, this is a lot. But I really liked it, so I had it on my iPod back in the day. Nice. Yeah, it's if if you haven't heard that song, it's like very much like it's not a totally straight and sincere love song. He's yeah. saying like your looks are laughable, unphotographable. Yeah, but you're still my favorite work of art or whatever, which yeah. is just like wow. It's a lot like um, you know that one Shakespeare sonnet where he's like uh. You're like basically like your hair is wiry and black and your breasts are done and your skin is like he's like <laughs> insulting her but like you know uh, but you're mine so it's cool. Yeah, it's all good. It's yeah. all good. You're, you're a mess, but it's all good because you're mine. Mm-hmm. But also, it reminds me of somebody like a guy or someone holding a knife while they sing the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Doesn't it, um, isn't there? I haven't actually seen the movie, but talented Mr. Ripley, isn't it? This in the, oh, doesn't Matt yes. Damon sing this? Yes, oh, he does? exactly. Yeah, oh, wow. yep. I also had that on my iPod. Matt Damon singing the song um, because Is that my, actually him singing it. I think so. I think my dad bought it on iTunes and it was on my iPod. Wow. <laughs> Another great fun movie of evil people. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It, it it is. It's great. Of things that become really sexy all of a sudden, and you don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie has a, a lot of homoerotic energy. Yeah. 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 And I was like, I am into whatever's happening here right now. Yeah, even more than the. It was interesting because I read the book first, and like, the book is like super tense. Like, it feels like you know you know like white knuckle thriller kind of thing even more than the movie which is also really tense but the movie the movie interestingly enough has i felt like more of that like implied homoeroticism than than the book even did which was interesting nice yeah um well uh what's her name Patricia highsmith she wrote carol too yeah 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 pretty gay it is yeah (laughs) um so, oh yeah, I did want to say one of my favorite things about Ethan Hawke's performance of My Funny Valentine is like about halfway through it, he takes like a really long drag of his cigarette and he just like, you know, puts his trumpet down and he's smoking <laughs> and then he picks it back up and goes again. But I just thought that was so funny and like it's something, you know, smoking is bad. It's fine. <laughs> I know that. But it's like, it's like this like really cool thing that you never see anymore. It's just like people just yep. smoking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. While they're like doing something and like being good at it, you know? I don't know. I thought it That's was why fun. they had to get rid of it on, on the TVs because it looks too fucking cool. Yeah. It looks really cool. It's bad for you, but it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I feel like, like vaping just doesn't. It just doesn't no, level no. up with it. You know what I mean? Vaping is You're, not cool. Like Mm-mm. the most successful, you know, they do all these like public service advertisements about how, how bad vaping is for you. Mm-hmm. They should just do public service announcements about how dorky you look yeah. when you vape. Yeah. <laughs> do you yeah, really your watermelon like flavored this? air is not as cool as smoking. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's just the entire ad. You look like a dweeb. <laughs> and then 0% everyone quits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man speaking of those anti-vaping ads there was one where i was like oh that's so smart i never thought about if that like the kids are smart where like it's like someone in like a, a class like in a high school or middle school class and they like hid their vape pen in their in their sleeve like you know how we used to use do yeah, ear, the earbuds in yeah. the sleeve you know but yeah. they hid their vape pen in their sleeve and then like took a you know hit off the vape pen wow. oh. i was like that's, wait so that that's was smart. in the psa that was in this psa and i was They're like i people learned free, something free <laughs> yeah tools to use when vaping that's so funny yeah I f- but would you smell it? like if you're doing it in yeah, class oh, yeah 100 yeah not if you blow it into your sleeve though not right if you blew it back Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Or, like, yeah, yeah, down your shirt or something. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Thinking. 
Kids, um, tell us if that <laughs> is actually a thing when you go back to school. Uh, yeah, go back to in school. Three if, years. If, yeah, in three years. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I actually I, no. I had I had uh, there was one time where someone was like like straight up just smoking weed in in class in high school, like inside the classroom. Mm-hmm. Which what the hell? He got caught like right away. Yeah, but it was like it was crazy. I think he was doing it just to like get a rise out of the teacher it was it was it was weird and then Wild. like everyone got like their stuff searched and all that it was it was intense what it the was, hell yeah it was maybe weird. he just has anxiety and he needed his medicine maybe his doctor prescribed it for him yeah maybe, maybe. i don't know i don't think it's, it's <laughs> seems like a between class, class doesn't activity. seem like a time still <laughs> yeah. um yeah one time there was a drug dog at our school and i didn't have weed in my backpack but i had recently had weed in my backpack and i was like oh no this is gonna be but i mean they can't do anything to you if you don't have it on you so i was like it's fine yeah the doc just kind of gives you a look yeah i know what you did i can't prove it but i know what you did um cool yeah so oh yeah so dizzy gillespie is there at this performance and he says i thought this line was really funny he says it's almost flat but somehow it's still nice yeah yeah which is true that's like a pretty accurate assessment yeah i loved that he said that to him because that also let you know that he is his friend and he's looking out for him Mm -hmm. and he's not just like saying oh yeah you sound great oh yeah you did great he actually is giving him legit criticism but letting him know that yeah you still sound good but i know you can do better essentially yeah because yeah. he's like you know i mean he's like a jazz legend so he's not gonna be like a sycophant you know what i mean like he's yeah. he's respected he can he can say his opinion freely and not you know and but he's willing to help him he like helps him get to to birdland and to do the yeah but you can tell that he doesn't think he's like ready yet you know what i mean he's like are you sure about this like do you you need it i feel like because you know and it's so clear that ethan hogg even though he had been clean for a while like still had some work he needed to do on himself because he's still so like codependent on carmen Jogo. i feel like that's a really big thing it's like he basically like replaced heroin with her in a way in a way and and he's so obsessed with getting back to where he was but like he could not ever get back to where he was just simply because of like his you know he could get good again mm-hmm. but he can't get like great again i don't think that was yeah. gonna be physically possible for him and i feel like between those two things like it was kind of like a recipe for disaster to have him go do a big show yeah but he does it <laughs> yeah but um, without his meds yeah, he ran out of methadone. I I think that was I feel like that must have been like self sabotage. I think so, yeah. You know. Like you don't just I think, run yeah. out of your drugs. I wonder if that was for the movie, now knowing that that Carmen's character wasn't actually real or if that really happened. Because if it really did happen, maybe he was trying to get back at the lady who didn't show up for him to be like, see what happens when you don't show up for me. Mm-hmm. I do drugs. Because, um, I don't know, this it's just too wild that you would be clean for that long and then go do this huge show and all of a sudden forget that your methadone is about to run out. Like, Yeah, I think it was self-sabotaging for sure. Like, I think he... Because yeah. he, he's, he's like... I think the guy, the, the, uh, what's his name? Dick. He, he says mm-hmm. to him, like you, he asked him, like you stopped taking it. Like, it wasn't like he said, Oh, you forgot it. Or you, you know, and he says to him like, okay, we're in New York. We can get this for you. Yeah. You know, like we can find someone in the next, like someone minutes. here has also gotten off of heroin. We could get you some. Yeah. 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 Um, but he kind of, he decides to just, yeah, so Dick gets the methadone and puts him in front, of, puts it in front of him. But Ethan Hawke has also found heroin in this time. Yeah, so well, because he never got rid of the stuff that that girl gave him. I think no, because that was I didn't think that was heroin. I thought that was like, was that heroin? I thought she that was the him? same thing. Oh, yeah, okay. I could be wrong. I don't. I don't know, I don't know anything about drugs. <laughs> <laughs> because no, I mean, he puts it in the 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 beer bottle, so he got rid of that stuff. Yeah. That oh, the you're girl right. Yeah, he him. does put it in the beer bottle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so, it was I mean, the weird dude with the black hair that was like, 
trying to talk to him during his show that he got got in contact with. Mm. Oh, Do you remember maybe. like the creepy dude that was like, what's his face? Uh, uh. What's his face? You know, what's his face? Oh, when he was you know? doing when he was doing the show in the studio? <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe. With the black hair and he's like, Hey, are you really oh, clean? Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, he yeah. was just trying to stop talking to him. I think that was what he wanted to do because he just wanted to go he like everyone was trying to like congratulate him on the show, but he just wanted to go talk to Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah. So I think that's kind of what I think I guess you're probably you're probably right that he just got it in New York somewhere. Because yeah. this is before mm-hmm. he gets there. This is still when he's in the studio. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I mean, when he's in New York, I mean, when he has the heroin in front of him, it's like a you know a paper baggie with like you know heroin and a spoon and yeah. like a candle, you know, or a lighter or whatever. Like he has the whole setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So clearly, like he, he was about it. anticipating this. Yeah, mm-hmm. because she tells him that right after the studio show, he's like riding this high, and she says like, "Oh, I have to do this audition," and yeah. he, he's they get in this whole big fight about it basically mm-hmm. i mean not even like he, he it's not like it's a fight in the sense that like it's two-sided it's more just her saying like this is important to me i need to go do this and him saying i need you to be there for me your career is not as important to me basically mm-hmm. um and he just he he just isn't even like cognizant of it like he's not even like thinking about how she might feel it's not like he's trying to be like a dick to her. He's just not, he just isn't, he's just filtering everything he does through his own kind of, through his music basically. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it comes at her expense. And, but she decides that she's going to do it. And then that's when he goes and gets the druggies. Yeah. So he's in the dressing room and he has the heroin and the methadone in front of him. And so we don't actually see him do whatever he does. We yeah. don't see his choice. But then we see him go out on stage and he performs I've Never Been In Love Before, which is, a, you know, a nice tie, ties it all together because that's what he's saying to her at the beginning at the bowling alley. And so he's performing it. And then you see him like run his hand across his face, like real, like I just did heroin and now I have yeah. to touch my face. Yeah. And and uh, she's there. She, yes, and she, she ends up mm-hmm. showing up. She's she wasn't going to be there because like we said, like she has this this uh, like callback that she has to go to. But then, uh, you know, she she's standing next to like Dick at the back of the club and he's like, oh, I thought you had the th- the the, uh, you know, callback thing. And, he, and she's like, oh, yeah, it ended up getting moved, like, et cetera, et cetera. So she ended up like getting a last minute flight out there, basically. But he didn't know that she was going to be there. Uh, she just kind of showed up like randomly and then she's wa- she's watching him perform she's like seeing how well he's doing and she's like fe- you know she feels good about it and then she sees him start to like act all like drugged out basically mm-hmm. yeah he like touches his face and he like does this like little swaying thing and and she re- she recognizes right away what's going on basically mm-hmm. and she takes off the the little uh mouthpiece thing that he gave for us the um engagement rank and gives it to dick and she's like can you give this back to him and she she just she walks away she leaves and he doesn't even i don't think he even realizes she's there when he's performing um and that's like the end of the movie yeah oh well i mean yeah then the big thing i think though is that miles davis claps for him Yes. Yeah, and yeah. it's like ugh. everyone's really excited about how well he did at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's because is... he's he's like laser focused on Miles Davis, basically. Like he mm-hmm. just wants like Miles Davis's approval. Um, and he, I think he, I could be wrong, but I think he doesn't even realize that she's there when she shows up. She's sort of like in the back to the side, sort of. So she. Just yeah. kind of a little bit out of sight and i'm sure there's lights on him and all that stuff mm-hmm. but also he's just so focused first i mean he's on drugs too but he, yeah. he's also so focused on miles davis that he wouldn't even see her you know um yeah and she just leaves yeah and then there's a text at the end that says that he lived out the rest of his life in europe as a heroin addict yeah yeah crazy yeah it ends on a really depressing note. <laughs> it yeah. does. Yeah. But yeah, I just you're that's... left with a very sad, empty feeling after you watch that movie. Yeah. I just thought that, like, scene between them, I mean, they weren't, he wasn't looking at her, but it was kind of between them. It was so, so, like, 
so good because he's singing and then you see him like devolve a little bit uh, but it's like it's subtle enough that you might not realize it like she recognizes it right away because she knows him well enough but you if you're just in the audience you might think he's just being like eccentric you know mm-hmm. but she recognized it right away and you can like see the emotion on her face change and like Mm-hmm. And as she decides, like right then and there, like she's she's got to get out. Which, I mean, good for her, you know. Like it's it's not going to be good. So yeah, cuts her losses and moves on. Mm-hmm. But I thought that scene was just really. And then his his like emotions as he's deciding, like he's like he's he says to to Dick, he's like, I'm not going to be as good unless I unless I do this. He's like, this is the best way I'm going to play. And he decides to do it. And like, oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. It's rough. Yeah. So Stephen Holden reviewed this for the New York Times. And he said, uh, just about Ethan Hawke, he said, in Mr. Hawke's extraordinary performance, this glamorous enigma becomes a credible, if pathetic, character who lives for only two things, to play the trumpet and to shoot heroin. He likes sex, too, especially when he's high. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean i have to ag- agree i mean i think this is maybe ethan Hawke's best performance wow. so far i mean of, of the movies we've talked about on the show mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. this is maybe his his greatest performance could be yeah i don't know well how do you feel no i mean i think that's definitely a case to be made yeah mm-hmm. i think them together <laughs> especially was like really i thought they were really yeah good no together. they had great yeah. chemistry yeah, they were cr- incredible together. They were both had beautifully subtle performances that just really worked for this film. Um, it was very believable. Everybody did an amazing job. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, Jonathan, do you have something you'd like to share with us? Sure, yeah. I need a second, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> My computer is off. Your computer is off? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I went to the store and all that stuff. and I wasn't ready. Okay, I'm sorry. It's, okay. it's fine. I understand. It'll turn on quickly, though. Okay. Um, Coop, this is a, a segment called Hawk Fact, where Jonathan shares a fact about actual hawks with us. Um, would you <laughs> like nice. to, to attempt a hawk noise? Me? Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> right now? Yeah, right now. <laughs> do it. Okay. <laughs> that was amazing. Wow, that was I'm great. Sorry. That was, that was that was beautiful. Better. I didn't know what was gonna come out of me when I opened my mouth, but then like something in my soul jumped out. And... It was musical, like a Disney hawk, you know. Thank you. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> it was imbued with you know with feeling and spirit, and that's what jazz is all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like my hawk noise was asking a question that will never be answered. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this movie, just while you're pulling up your hawk bag, this movie came out during, like, a real, like, jazz in film era, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, Whiplash was, like, 2013, this was 2015, La La Land was 2016, you know, mm-hmm. we were really going through, like, a jazz moment as a... Wait, which was... It wasn't Whiplash the skating movie? Whiplash? Oh, no, you're thinking of Whip It. Oh, yeah. That's a good movie. Oh, That's a really good movie. With, uh, with Ellen Page yeah. and Drew Barrymore. Yes. Um, no, Whiplash is the one with um, Miles Teller, where he's like the jazz drummer, and J.K. Simmons is his abusive teacher. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that was that's a great movie. I that was that was one I was so glad to catch in theaters because it was so it was just so shocking. Every moment of that movie, I was like on the edge of my seat. That was okay. Uh, I have to write this down. Yeah, Whiplash, Woodwreck. I'm really excited to find out what your hawk fact is. <sighs> <laughs> sorry i i it's okay. a little bit a little bit scattered today that's all right it happens um it's yeah i got this fact we recorded in a different order so i got this fact before and then you know yeah so now i'm now i'm a little I'm trying to okay well it's fine so there's a scene in Born to be Blue where Ethan Hawke gets his uh, teeth knocked out. Yes. Gets punched in the face. <gasps> Are you going to tell us about hawk teeth? <laughs> no, I was going to talk oh. about hawk beaks. Oh, hawk beaks. Okay. So the injury <laughs> to Ethan Hawke's 
uh, mouth prevents him from doing the thing that keeps him alive, you mm-hmm. know, playing jazz. And the same thing can happen to birds. If their beak gets injured, which a beak injury is actually quite common, uh, their um, ability to hunt and eat and things like that can, can be impaired. But it is possible to... Um, sometimes birds can survive anyway and sometimes if they can't they uh people will help fix their um like you know bird doctors (laughs) 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 will help uh basically repair their um repair their beaks and uh, they use you can use like it's like dental epoxy it's like Mm -hmm. the stuff that's the same use for for dentures Yeah, Yeah. yeah yeah so you can actually use like that to repair uh, a bird's beak and it can actually end up like working in and making them um, they can return to like their full even if they like crack their beak if you take care of them they can they can return to to full health and and be nursed back to health and so there's like stories of different birds and hawks and things like that who get their beaks broken and they end up being fine they end up uh, returning to um to to nature or to to you know taking care of themselves mm-hmm. um so it's possible nice yeah. that's such a relevant and interesting hawk fact thank you jonathan <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, Coop, thank you for joining us for this episode of Hawkeyes. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um, now we're going to go around and say what where the people can find us on the internet and also something else we're enjoying outside of Ethan Hawk. Um, and if you have anything else to plug. So I've been Harper. You can find me on the internet at Harping About on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd. Um, and I think maybe Pinterest if that interests you (laughs) (laughs) and um, something I've been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawke is I accidentally started rewatching Lost so that's fun it's still good (laughs) Uh, 15 years later it's still good so I've been enjoying Lost Uh, Jonathan nice well okay I'm Jonathan you can find me on IG and Letterboxd at John Zavaleta uh, a thing I've been enjoying, um, I have been listening to um, Bob Dylan's new album. He has a new album called cool. Rough and Rowdy Ways. He has a song on it about JFK's assassination that's 17 minutes long. <laughs> a wow. Real, a real club banger. <laughs> once once we get back, I'm looking forward to the, the Calvin Harris remix of that song. Uh, the dream. Um so yeah, I mean, check it out. It's good. Nice. Oh, cool. Coop, how about you? Uh, my name is Coop Foster. You can find me uh, on Instagram uh, at this is Coop at this underscore. Wow, I just forgot my own name. Wait, at this. What is my one uh, second? I'll look it up too. <laughs> <laughs> at this underscore is underscore Coop on Instagram. Uh, the thing that I've been enjoying outside of Ethan Hawke is Hunt a Killer Murder Boxes. Um, I love murder. Wait, okay. Wait, let, me <laughs> let me rephrase that. I don't do murders. I love murder mysteries. Okay. I don't kill. I've never killed anyone, but I like to solve murders. And I like true crime. Mm-hmm. And Hunt a Killer this is not paid for by a hunter killer. Uh, <laughs> they send you boxes and you solve a crime and wow. you get clues in every yeah, you get clues in every box and it's really cool. Wow, I've That's never heard so of this. Cool. That's so interesting. And that feels like a really good way to like, I don't know, like a fun activity for quarantine, you know, cuz yeah. they send it to you and it's something you could do that's like different than watching TV. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, they they send you actual clues and letters from the police. It's great. Wow, that's wow. amazing. Yeah, I saw this thing that was like defund the police because if you did it, like you could just give like women who listen to podcasts, you know, the ability to solve murders and they do it. <laughs> Here I am, baby. Give me the money. 
Yeah, I've heard of, uh, of, of you know, clothing subscription boxes and mm-hmm. food subscription boxes, but murder subscription boxes are a whole new territory. I wouldn't yeah. have even thought of that. That's brilliant. Amazing. Um, well, cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. Also, because I haven't said this in about six months, probably, uh, go rate and review us on apple podcasts you know just do it be nice think of how much you enjoy listening to this show all five of you uh and just go to apple Podcasts and rate and review um and yeah you yeah, can follow especially us the guy that made fun of you for saying yeah what is it you say? especially you mark um oh um yeah um yeah yeah just just five star review um yeah yeah we'd That's love to we see that um and yeah you can follow us on the internet at hawkeyes pod on instagram twitter tumblr and <laughs> i don't know maybe somewhere else i can't think of it right now but that feels like a good amount of places to follow mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. so yeah um thank you everyone and good night bye-bye bye <laughs>